So who here has seen the movie Frozen? Raise your hand. Okay, lots and lots of people. Who here now resents me for even bringing it up? Raise your Okay, yeah. Some of you guys just need to let it go. <laughs> see, see what I did there? Hey, if you're, if you're new here, uh, you might be wondering who I am and why we started the sermon with a, a clip from Frozen. And if you're uh, at the 6 p.m. service, you might be wondering why I'm preaching on, on video tonight. So let me answer those questions. If you don't know, my name is Jeff Manis. I am the lead pastor here. And uh, for everyone who's with us, including anyone joining us on video somewhere, I'm just so glad you are here. And if you're in the 6 p.m. service, uh, I had to leave immediately following the morning services to head up to Montana uh, for some denominational meetings that I have to get to. And so Lord willing, I'll be back live with you next week. Uh, Today, we're continuing a sermon series called Hashtag Single. The tagline is finding fulfillment no matter your relationship status. And we started last week talking about how the key to fulfillment in this life is not in, in finding the right spouse. It's in having the right focus, a single focus, if you will, hence the name Hashtag single uh, for the series. And the reason we started with the clip from Frozen is that, that the, the plot line of that movie is one of thousands of examples out there of how we have uh, elevated this uh, romantic love as the greatest expression of love in life, how we've elevated marriage and romantic relationships as the end goal for really everyone. And I know that that Frozen kind of bucks the trend of uh, the typical princess movie, but the underlying kind of narrative of that whole movie is the trajectory of marriage as the end goal, at least for Princess Anna. In the clip I showed you, Princess Anna and Prince Hans, they sang a song together. uh, And that song was sung literally just minutes after meeting one another and apparently falling in love and then declaring their commitment in marriage. And a couple of of lines from the song stood out to me. Uh, Hans said this, with you, I found my place as, as if we don't fit into the world unless we have someone, the right one, to love, a romantic kind of love. They they both said, you and I were just meant to be. Aw, so cute. And and they, they said that statement based on the fact that they finished each other's sandwiches, thought the same way, and had mental synchronization as they did the robot in the, in the song. Let me just add that finishing someone's sandwich might seem like love today, but one day it will annoy you that they left their sandwich on the table. And, and thinking the same way seems cute today, but one day you will wish they actually thought for themselves. That's called relational reality right there, okay? And then they both sang, say goodbye to the pain of the past. We don't have to feel it anymore. Let that sink in, by the way. That they were declaring that our love for one another is so strong that not only will we not hurt one another, but we won't have to feel any pain from our past. That puts an expectation on romantic love that not any human being can fulfill. It paints singleness as only pain and romantic love as only bliss. And that's just not reality. Basically, the message is life just won't be complete without you in it. 
That, that singleness is a season to endure. It's a, it's a burden to bear. That, that there's something greater for us out there. And that something greater is romantic love. It's a fairy tale wedding. Notice I did not say fairy tale marriage because fairy tales never show the hard work of marriage, only the Pinterest worthy weddings. Am I hitting too close to home already? This was all confirmed in me when I saw an Instagram post recently from one of the most influential people in the world. I won't give you her name, although some of you might figure it out. She is one of the leading voices on the planet right now. She has one of the, the most listened to podcasts in the country. Uh, she sells out arenas around uh, the, the country for her leadership conferences and commenting on seeing the, the trailer for Frozen 2, which comes out, I believe, next month. She posted this on Instagram. I know this isn't the point, I know it. But if Elsa doesn't fall in love in Frozen 2, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be gravely disappointed. Why aren't the trailers hinting at a love interest? Where is the subtle nod to a new character that's all wrong for her and yet all right? She's an ice queen, you guys. You're telling me no one wrote in a B storyline with a faded love to like a sun god or something? He's fire, she's ice, but somehow it works. I just, look. I know it's all about loving yourself and Arendelle sisters before misters, which is a great line, by the way, but Anna got Kristoff and I just think it's only fair and I'm really stressing out about this, guys. That post had 22,000 likes and 1,200 comments. And I think it speaks to the bigger problem we have in the world right now. Here's the bigger problem. Elsa, or in our case, singles, won't be complete until they find a soulmate. Because after all, it's only fair. And the church and Christians, we've just hopped on for the ride. And here's the problem with that line of thinking. And really, this is what drove me to do this series in the way we're doing this, this series. If we are only complete with a mate, if, if romantic love and marriage and sex is the ultimate experience in life and the ultimate expression of love, then Jesus Christ himself cannot be our ultimate example of the ultimate experience in life or the ultimate expression of love because Jesus himself never experienced romantic love, romantic relationship, never got married and never had sex. And yet Jesus himself embodied what it meant to be truly and fully human, more so than anyone will ever, ever know on this side of eternity. The church, not, not just Element Church, the Christian church, we have followed the culture's idolization of marriage. I believe our hearts, I believe our motive was right, but in the process, we inadvertently have displayed to all people that the only way you'll be fulfilled in life, at least the only way you'll be fulfilled relationally is through romantic love and marriage. And I know I am opening a giant can of worms that maybe I, I shouldn't because I can't dive into it, but I just feel like I need to say this. The church, the Christian church, has actually painted themselves into a corner in our culture when it comes to the conversation around marriage and sexuality, 
And here's what I mean. As we, as we inadvertently displayed to all people that, that marriage and romantic love was a necessity to be fulfilled relationally, in saying that, we were also saying this to LGBT people sitting in our, in our pews, if you will. And then we turned around and declared a war on the very thing we essentially taught gay people they should do, which is fall in love and get married. Now, got to hear me out, okay? I've got just a short window here, so I got to speak to both sides. This does not mean that we affirm same-sex marriage or same-sex sexual activity. And I don't have time to get into this today. We uh, actually did a whole sermon series on this uh, back in February uh, on the LGBT conversation. It's called Grace and Truth. I almost feel like this series is kind of part two to that series as we now deal with the relational side uh, of life and how that impacts us. I would encourage you to go watch, listen to that, that series if you want to know more about uh, our posture and position in that conversation. As always, if you have any question at any time about what we believe, like we would gladly gladly answer those questions. Please reach out. Don't let those questions go unanswered. But also, okay, if you are here and you are gay or you have a loved one who is gay, thank you so much for being here. Love it that you are here. And I want you to know that we love you. Even if you don't ever believe what we believe about marriage and sexuality, we love you. And I would personally love to meet you I want to hear your story. I want to answer any questions you might have about our church. And if you're willing to do that, please reach out to me uh, through the church website, elementchurch.life. And it would be just my honor uh, to sit down with you. And then just to all people, okay, including single people, LGBT people, LGBT people who are trying by the power of God to follow the traditional Christian view of, of marriage and sexuality, it, if you've ever been marginalized or hurt by my teaching on marriage and sexuality or by just the churches in general teaching, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you have been devalued and marginalized and kind of uh, pushed to the side and hurt. And we're gonna make some mistakes as a church along the way, but I can promise you this, we're gonna do our best to love you and lead you like Jesus would. And that, that includes calling all people to a very difficult path of self-sacrifice in this life. We're calling all of us to that path. So Jesus was never married, never had sex. John the Baptist, whom Jesus said was the greatest person who ever lived, there's no indication he ever had a romantic relationship, got married, or, or had sex. The apostle Paul, he, he was single. In fact, Paul celebrated singleness in the church, elevating it to an equal place of value and honor in the kingdom of God and called us to do the same. In fact, the big idea for today, it's on the screens if you want to write it down, it'll kind of drive our conversation. Singleness is not a season to endure, it's a status to celebrate. The singleness, it's not just a season to endure. It's a status to celebrate. It, it, it's not something that you're kind of stuck in until something better arrives. Singleness can actually be that something better. That's what I think we're gonna see today. And listen, I understand how insensitive and how patronizing that can sound coming from the guy on the platform who's been married for 22 years. That's not lost on me. 
And, and I'm not just saying that this is something you have to accept and kind of move on. No, I'm just relaying to you what I believe scripture says. And then we're gonna have to walk together as a Christian family of God, helping one another, both married and single alike, live out this very difficult path. That's what we're called to do as a family because singleness is not a season to endure, it's a status to celebrate. So here's the big question I think we have to answer today. What's to celebrate about singleness? I know some of you are asking that in your heart. What's, what's, What's to celebrate about singleness? Our main scripture is 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 40. Don't panic. We're not going to read every single one of those verses. We don't have time to. I would encourage you, though, sometime this week to read that whole passage on your own. If you don't have your own Bible to do that, we'll give you one for free. Just ask for a Bible out in the lobby before you go. They they are absolutely free of charge. We're going to come back to some of these verses uh, later on in the series as we talk about marriage starting next week. We're taking two weeks to talk about marriage and then one week to talk uh, solely on divorce and remarriage. And also, because we can't talk about every detail in these subjects, uh, on the last Sunday of the series, November 17th, uh, I'll be doing a live Q&A on the platform where you'll be able to use your your, uh, phone or or tablet, smart device, whatever it is, uh, to anonymously ask questions that I will be answering live on the spot in every single service, okay? So if you've got a question, you want some clarification, I'm gonna do my best to answer those questions. The things we're looking at today, uh, they aren't relegated only to singles. These principles are true for married people as well. We're just viewing them through a single lens today. And these are some of the reasons why I believe we can find fulfillment no matter our relationship status. It's actually part of our vision that you be fulfilled. We exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, to be fulfilled, to connect into meaningful relationships, not just marital ones, and to make a lasting impact. That's our vision and you're going you're gonna to see parts of that vision in this sermon today. So we're going we're gonna to jump in at verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, just for sake of time. The Apostle Paul says this, But I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. Everyone still okay right now? Everyone with me? Okay, nobody's running for the doors. That's a good thing. So, so the first reason we should celebrate singleness, number one is this, it is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Paul, Paul actually said, it's better to stay unmarried. And if you're married, be very careful where you say amen in the service. Somebody in the 9 a.m. service said amen, and they were married, which is not a good thing to say that when you're married. Then Paul said, each of us have a gift, and he connects singleness to being a gift from God. Now, I know what some of us are thinking. We're thinking, if singleness is a gift, does God have a return policy? (laughs) That's what some of us would, would, we're just naturally going to going to think that. So Vaughn Roberts, works for the Gospel Coalition, had just a very helpful quote about this gift. Here's what it says. 
When Paul speaks of singleness as a gift, he isn't speaking of a particular ability some people have to be contentedly single. Rather, he's speaking of the state of being single. As long as you have it, it's a gift from God. Just as marriage will be God's gift if, key word by the way, if and when you receive it. It's helpful. So Paul then continues his teaching on singleness, jumping now to verse 17, and then we'll jump to verse 25. Paul says this, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you, meaning married or single, keep living there, and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. Now verse 25. Now regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted and I will share it with you. Because of the present crisis, I think it is best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. That's huge, by the way. Nothing bad about marriage, okay? And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles, and I'm trying to spare you those problems. So, so Paul is telling us, if you are married, don't seek, don't be looking to get rid of the marriage. And if you aren't married, don't be obsessed with finding a spouse. This actually ties in perfectly to last week's sermon where we talked about seeking the kingdom of God above all else, having a single focus in life. Because here's the thing, and, and follow me here, okay? When marriage becomes our ultimate goal, instead of a gift from God, then the kingdom of God becomes just a gift instead of the ultimate goal. And we flip them around and we make marriage superior to the kingdom of God or we make marriage necessary for the kingdom of God. And neither are true. Elizabeth Elliot, author and missionary, she said this about the gift. Having now spent more than 41 years single, I have learned that it is indeed a gift. Not one I would choose, not one many people would choose, but we do not choose our gifts, remember? We are given them by a divine giver who knows the end from the beginning and wants above all else to give us the gift of himself. It's powerful. And before you think that Elizabeth Elliot was just, you know, some crazy woman holed up in the mountain never having a desire for marriage, like, that's not who she was. Elizabeth was married twice. She lost both of her husbands to death. Her first husband, Jim Elliott, which might ring a bell for some Christians in the room, Jim Elliott, her first husband, was murdered by the Aka Indians in Ecuador. The very natives that her and her husband were trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus. And after her husband was murdered, she spent the next two years as a single person, a missionary, as a single missionary, ministering to the very natives that took her husband's life, eventually seeing the one who took his life come to know Jesus as his personal savior. 13 years after Jim died, she married her second husband who died four years later. So her quote, 
on singleness as a gift was written in light of the fact that two of her marriages ended in tragedy. Yet she viewed even the death of her husbands as a gift. Not a gift she would choose and not a gift that God caused but a gift that somehow in God's sovereignty he allowed and then used for his good in the kingdom. Singleness, it's not a season to endure. It's a status to celebrate. And why should we celebrate singleness? Because it's a gift from God. Second of all, it's a gift for God. It's a gift for God. 1 Corinthians 7, 29 through 35 now, Paul continues, but let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them for this world as we know it will soon pass away. Again, notice the ties to last week's theme about seeking the kingdom of God above all else. That don't focus yourself on only your marriage. Don't focus yourself on your mourning, your joy, or your possessions. Focus yourself on the kingdom of God. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is, who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. That's some incredibly practical teaching right there on marriage and, and singleness for everybody. Now listen, in no way at all do I wanna paint a picture of singleness that, that makes it appear as if it's super practical and incredibly easy because that is not the case, right? Like being single, especially in this over-romanticized, highly sexualized culture we live in is incredibly difficult to navigate. And I'll get to that in a second. But I think what Paul's saying, and I think, and I think we'd even acknowledge this, that as a single person, there are fewer or at least very different responsibilities than those who are married. There's different now, I understand you throw kids into the mix, and whether you are married or single, that is a whole new ball game, right? It changes everything. And by the way, to the single parents in the room, can I just say we see you, we love you, we are for you, and if there's anything we can do as your family to help you, like please, please, please let us know, okay? That's part of being God's family is walking with People like single parents, which you are doing, single parents, you are doing an amazing job. Keep doing what you're doing. It's the greatest task you are given to raise those children. And we're with you, okay? I just want you to know that. 
but singleness in general, just when it comes to who and what we are responsible for, as Paul said, it's just different. It's different. And when it comes to singles, not only is your singleness a gift from God, as we talked about, it's also a gift for God, meaning it's a gift to be used for his good, his gain, his glory, and his purpose in this life as a service to other people. That as a single person, you actually have something to give in the kingdom that only you can give. Only you can give it. And listen, if, if singleness is not viewed as a gift to be given, then marriage will be treated like a God to be served. Let me say that again. If singleness is not viewed as a gift to be given, then marriage will be treated like a God to be served. Because we will become, uh, seeking marriage will become a self-serving endeavor, attempting to fill a void that only God can fill. Instead of a self-sacrificing endeavor, attempting to give oneself away for the sake of the other. Which, by the way, is the point of marriage, too. To give oneself away. So, Cutter Calloway, in his book, Breaking the Marriage Idol, we have several out in the Element Store. Highly recommend this book. Uh, it was revolutionary for me in kind of re reshaping the framework in which I view marriage and singleness. He said this in the book, to understand single life in terms of waiting for a soulmate is to treat one's imagined future spouse as both a fetish and an idol. It is sub-Christian. Inside the framework, marriage can only ever be an arrangement that caters to the individual needs of the consumer. Its culmination is not self-giving love, but rather self-serving love. And friends, do you think the idea of a self-giving love would have spared a few marriages here and there from falling apart if both spouses would have viewed their role as giving themselves away Amen. for the good of the other? And how do you build a marriage that's based on self-giving love? By first being a single who's focused on self-giving love regardless if God ever provides a spouse in your future. Singleness, it's not a season to endure. It's a status to celebrate. And what's to celebrate about, about singleness? It's a gift from God. It's a gift for God. To, to live a life of, of self-sacrificial love for, for the good of others, the glory of God, and the building of God's kingdom, that as a single person, you are able to give yourself away in ways that most married people will never be able to do in their life, except for when they were single. I understand the difficulty in that. I'm acknowledging that. I'm just saying it's a gift from God. It's a gift for God. And lastly, it's a gift by God. It's a gift by God. Here's what I mean. As I said earlier, in no way 
do I want to present singleness as just the super practical, highly desirable thing that, that we want to experience in life that you should just be thrilled about being in. It's not what I'm saying. Singleness is incredibly difficult, very hard to navigate, and it's highly impractical. Which, by the way, can I just add that marriage is incredibly difficult, hard to navigate, and highly impractical. When you put two sinful people together to share a home, that's not practical. Like that creates conflict. And you might be saying, well, my marriage never has conflict. Oh, congratulations on being married yesterday. Because conflict coming. This is why, by the way, we need to view singleness as not only a gift from God and a gift for God, but also a gift that can only be lived out by the power of God. Here's why it should be celebrated. Because singleness drives us to the feet of Jesus just like marriage should. In Matthew chapter 19, which I'll be using that as our main scripture in three weeks, when I talk about divorce and remarriage, a whole sermon on it, okay? In Matthew 19, Jesus gives what is probably his clearest and strongest teaching on his expectation for marriage and divorce. And look how the disciples respond to his teaching, Matthew 19, 10 and 11. Jesus' disciples then said to him, If this is the case, if this is what you expect from marriage, it is better not to marry. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said, only those whom what? God helps. You see, not only do we need God's help in our marriages, can I get a witness, but we need God's help in our singleness. It's a gift that's only lived out by the power of God. That that singleness should drive us to the feet of Jesus, not to the feet of a spouse. And marriage should drive us to the feet of Jesus, not to the feet of our spouse. Because my spouse, as amazing as I believe she is, is not God. Jesus is. And he cannot let me down. He cannot. So I'm driven to the feet of Jesus. Sam Albury, who is a Christian, single, celibate, same-sex attracted man, believe for a while, he might still, works for Ravi Ravi Zacharias. He said this, marriage shows us the shape of the gospel in that it models the covenant promises that God has made to us in Christ. It models the self-giving love of God to us. Singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel because it shows us the reality of what marriage points to, which is our own relationship with Jesus. 
So singleness does not point us to our need for marriage and marriage does not point us to the fact that our need has been met. Both singleness and marriage point us to the fact that we are all in desperate need of Jesus. We desperately need Jesus. And both singleness and marriage point to that. So I'm going to ask you just to spend a moment in reflection here. If you just bow your heads and close your eyes. And here's how I, here's how I want to close today. I, I want to pray just for the single people in the room. Because we, we are aware, okay, as I've said, the, the road of singleness is, it's hard. It's hard to navigate. It's hard to figure out. It's hard to be fulfilled. And we, your church family, I, I just, right now, I just, wanna, I just wanna stand with you in prayer, okay? It's the best I can do. And I'm, I'm not, not asking anybody to raise their hand or stand up. I'm not gonna point people out. I just, if you're here and you're single, I just wanna pray for you. So God, right now, by the power of your son, Jesus, I just ask you, Lord, to invade this space. Lord, there are single people in this room who have been walking a very difficult, self-sacrificing life. And Lord, it's hard. It's hard. And I think you acknowledge that. Jesus, you even know that. <laughs> you lived your life as a single. So Lord, right now in this moment, would you just come inside the hearts of our single people? Lord, would you empower them? Would you strengthen them? Would you comfort them? Would you, would you lift them up? Lord, would you, come, would, would you come inside of us as your church family to stand with them and beside them? Lord, as married people in the room, I pray we would not hoard our marriage relationships, but we'd open it up to the family of God to live a self-giving kind of love for your kingdom and your good and your gain. So Lord, right now for all of us, single and married, Lord, come into this place. Fill our singles up with your power. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I wanna give you that chance today. For me to say that singleness and marriage points us to our need for Jesus and not give you a chance to receive him uh, would be malpractice on my part. So Jesus was God in the flesh and he died for your sins and mine. Because he was God, he rose from the dead and says, by faith in me, I can forgive you of your sins, set your heart free, fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. And with me, you can be fulfilled in this life. It won't be easy. It may not happen instantaneously, but it's true. If it's not true, then what I just preached should be thrown in the trash can. So if you're here and you wanna put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, well just say this prayer with me silently in your heart to God. This prayer does not save you. Jesus saves you by faith in him. Your prayer expresses that, okay? Father in heaven, I Believe in Jesus. He died for my sins and rose from the dead 
So Jesus, my heart is yours. Forgive me of all my sins. Wash me clean. Make me new. Come into my heart and live in me. I'm turning. I'm repenting from my old sinful way of life. I'm going to do my best by your help to follow you in a new way. I receive from you salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me. Broken, sinful, messy me. I'm going to do my best from this day forward to love you and follow you back. In Jesus' name, amen.